His uh, finished work at Calvary's cross for our redemption, for our forgiveness, and for our victory, our sanctification. I praise God tonight for all He's done. Let me just make an announcement before I teach tonight, before we get into the Word of God. And uh, that is Sunday services, this Sunday morning and night. I will get to, Lord willing, preach twice Sunday. I haven't done that in a while either. (laughs) Praise God. So uh, you make plans to be here Sunday. Keep praying for those who are down and out with the flu and different things, that they'll be well enough to come to church Sunday and be in church. And um, we're looking forward to what God has for Sunday morning and Sunday night. So be inviting people to come. Be a part of church here at Abundant Life Family Church. Open your Bibles tonight, if you would, to the book of James. Uh, again, we, um, uh, for about, I don't know, was it three weeks before the holidays and uh, before Christmas, we were, um, I was ministering here in James chapter number one, and we were talking about turning our trials into triumphs. We were dealing with what James talked about, counting it all joy when we fall into these various trials and and tests and and, uh, how the trying of our faith, the testing of our faith works patience and all that. So we dealt with that aspect of the trials of life and turning our trials, how to turn our trials into triumphs. And we all have trials and we all need to triumph over our trials. And so then James, though, we want to pick up in verse 12 tonight because James switches gears here just a little bit and he begins to talk about not just trials, but then he deals with temptations. And there there is a difference in trials and temptations and we have them both. We, we, We deal with them both. And so we're going to talk tonight about the, we've talked about the triumph, triumphing over trials. Tonight we're going to talk about the tussle with temptation. Does anybody ever have a tussle with temptation? Amen. Everybody does. Amen. You know, it's like, you remember the old, uh, the old commercial years ago uh, about the American Express card? And it said, don't leave home without it. Well, that's kind of the way temptation is. Unfortunately, all of us Christians and in the life of the Christian, we face it at home. And and when we leave home, we don't leave home without it. There's temptation everywhere that we go. And so our tussle with temptation and our struggle with temptation is a never-ending battle. It just, it will not go away. And uh, it's kind of like an annoying fly or a mosquito, you know, that, that buzzes around you and you, you're trying to get rid of it. Well, that's kind of the way temptation is to the believer, to the child of God. And James deals with temptation here uh, in verses 12, verses 12 through 18. So if you're there in James chapter 1, we're going to read some scripture and we're going to deal with some of these verses tonight. Because in these verses in James chapter 1, he gives us some important principles on dealing with temptation. So if you're there, amen, I'm going to read beginning with verse 12. James says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown 
of life which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. Notice that. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation nor shadow of turning. And I'll just stop right there. But this is giving us some insight uh, James does here in this chapter on dealing with our tussle with temptation. And I want you to notice the first thing that James, the first principle he gives us and the first teaching that he gives us is found here in verse number 12 where he kindly gives a beatitude. You remember the beatitudes that Jesus gave us in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, blessed is he that hungers and thirsts after righteousness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, and so, so on and so forth. And the same word that Jesus used in those beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount is the same word that James uses here in James chapter 1 and verse 12 when he says, Blessed is the man or woman, it's talking about mankind, talking about all of us, but he said, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now notice the blessing that is pronounced here, not on temptation, not on the fact that we experience temptation, but the blessing is pronounced on those who do what? Endure temptation. Can I get an amen? It's the blessing. James tells us here that a blessing can come through t- from temptation, but it's not within the temptation itself. Because I'm going to tell you, if you're tempted and you yield to it, that's not a blessing. Can I get an amen there? But when you are tempted, and we all are, when we endure that temptation and we resist that temptation and we overcome that temptation, that's where the blessing come in, comes in. That word blessed means happy. It means blessed or happy and it carries the idea of a great inner joy and satisfaction. And as I said, it's the same word that Jesus used there in the Beatitudes. And so the blessing comes in your life, in our life, my life, when we endure that temptation. Now, what does it mean to endure something, to endure temptation, as James talks about here? That that word, that the word that he uses here to endure means to patiently, that's an interesting word, to patiently and courageously endure, to wait, to remain through a trial or a test, are to stand your ground and to persevere. And the individual 
the individual overcomes temptation uh, and stands his ground and overcomes and endures the temptation. And there's only one way, listen, saints, there's only one way that you and I can do that and can overcome, and that is by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, there's nothing within you uh, or within your own strength or power, and we'll probably touch on that in a little bit, but there's nothing within your individual strength or power or ability that can resist or overcome temptation. You have to depend, I have to depend upon a power that's greater than my willpower or my ability to overcome. And the power that we have to overcome comes through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of Jesus Christ, um, through our faith in Him and what He did for us at Calvary. Are you with me? Now, the overcomer, that's what we've got to be. When it comes to our temptations, we've got to be an overcomer. And when you read the book of Revelation, Jesus, um, His messages to the seven churches, at the end of each message to each church, you remember Jesus gave a blessing to the overcomer and talked about a reward to the overcomer. He that overcometh, I will do this. He that overcometh will receive this. So it's very important then, I believe, that you and I are overcomers. Are you with me? Amen. Uh, you're not going to receive God's blessing without overcoming. Well, to be an overcomer, you've got to have something to overcome. And so we've dealt with, with our trials, that we do endure those. We come through trials. But now there's also that, that pesky little item of temptation, that lure, that drawing into sin, that temptation to do what is not pleasing to the Lord. And we've got to be, when it comes to being tempted, we've got to also overcome and endure those temptations if we're going to have the blessing of God on our life. And um, I, I read this week, I read a story, a little story about Jonas Salk. You all know, I know these pharmacists probably know who Jonas Salk is, but he was the, the man that discovered the vaccine for polio. He came up with the vaccine for polio, but I was reading this week, and it said that Jonas Salk uh, had 200 unsuccessful attempts at, at, at manufacturing the polio vaccine before he came up with one that, that worked. And someone asked him, now can, can you imagine this? 200 different times he tried to come up with the, with the vaccine that, and, it, and he failed. It seemed like that he failed every time. And someone asked him that question. And, and they asked him, they said, how did it feel to fail 200 times in trying to invent the polio vaccine? And Jonas Salk's answer was, he said this, he said, I never failed 200 times in my life. He said, my family taught me never to use that word. He said, and here was his answer. He said, I simply discovered 200 ways not to make the polio vaccine. Amen. <laughs> now that's the attitude of an overcomer. Amen. And, and you know, we all have that 
propensity to fail. And I can, I can assure you that all of us sitting here in this service tonight at one time or another have failed the Lord. Amen. If there's somebody here that you've been saved for, for, a, 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 for a period of time and have never failed the Lord, as I've said this before, I need you to come up here and pray for me. Amen. But we have all failed the Lord at one time or another. But we have to have that determination. Listen to me. That we're kind of like Jonas Salk here, you know. 200 failed attempts, but I'm not going to look at it as that. I'm going to keep on pressing on. I'm going to keep on going on. I'll ask the Lord for forgiveness and place my faith right back in the finished work of Christ and believe the Holy Spirit is going to work in my life because there is victory over temptation for every born-again believer. You don't have to be overcome by sin, but through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Ghost, you can overcome sin. We've been freed from its power. Can you say amen tonight? Woo, hallelujah. Listen to what Romans said. Paul said in Romans, some of my favorite verses in Romans 8, 35. He said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? And as, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. But verse 37, he said, yet in all these things, praise God, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And look at verse 38, for I am persuaded. I love that because here's what we've got to be tonight. If, we've, if we get anything out of this, you've got to be persuaded. You've got to be convinced. You've got to be sure tonight that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. That has got to be your persuasion tonight that I am going to be an overcomer that I can be an overcomer through the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and His Holy Word. I can overcome temptation. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman that endureth temptation. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. I just, I don't know. I feel, I've just felt good all evening. <laughs> Praise God. Now we need to make a, a, a careful distinction tonight between trials, tests, and temptations. Because there's a difference. The word temptation that's used here in our text in verse 12 is the same word, the same Greek word, that James used in verse number 2 of that same chapter. And this word, um, this word, the Greek word that's used there is, uh, is a word that is translated both trial and temptation. It's translated both ways in the English Bible. And all trials, now we're, we're, we're wanting to establish a distinction between temptations and trials. 
every trial that you go through, all trials have an element of temptation in them, and all temptations have an element of trial in them. When you're enduring something, it's a trial. Amen? And, but you're also enduring temptation. So, but you've got to, we've got to distinguish the difference. But t- see, tests that we go through are to be endured. And trials, uh, I'm sorry, temptations that we go through, temptations is to be resisted. Amen? You resist the devil, the Bible says, and submit yourself to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, here's the distinct difference between, between tests and, and, and trials and temptations. And the main difference is this. that and, and Are you listening? God himself, your heavenly Father, God does test the believer's faith. Right? We, we studied that a few weeks ago. God does test us. I know there's some that say that, that He doesn't, but God, let me say it again, God does test us. He tries our faith. He allows us to go through times of testing to prove the, the, the genuineness of our faith. And so we don't want to go back through that again. God does test the believer's faith. But God never tempts the believer to sin or to do evil. So there's, there's the distinct difference between trials and temptations is because the, t- the word temptation as James is using it here in verses 12 and 13 and so on is using it in the area of an enticement to, to commit sin. And God never does do that. And so those who faithfully endure, James says, who faithfully endure their tests of their faith, who endure the trials, who endure and resist the temptation. In other words, those who overcome these things in life and are victorious over them are going to be rewarded one of these days very soon at the judgment seat of Christ. He said, blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, hallelujah, which God has reserved for those who love him. Do you realize there's coming a day, and I, I, you know, we need to be reminded of this every once in a while, that there's coming a day that every believer is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There is a judgment for the believer, and, and that's, again, that's a different judgment than there is for the unbeliever. When you stand when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, you're not there to be judged for your sins because those sins were judged at the cross. Thank God for that. Can, can you get an amen there? But you're there to be judged for your works and there are, there are rewards that are going to be received at that judgment seat of Christ. But Paul said it in, in Romans chapter 14. He said that we all shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ and every one of us will give an account of ourselves. Every knee, he said, is going to bow and our tongues confess and we're going to give an account of ourselves and of our life to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's quite a sobering thought. 
Amen? Now we're going we're gonna to stand before Jesus and He's going to judge us according to what we did for Him, according to our motives, why we did what we did or what we didn't do. And I've heard people say this before. They, I've heard people say, well, you know, I'm really not too much worried about rewards. If I just make it by the skin of my teeth, well, I, you know, just be there. Well, you know, that's, that kind of attitude could kindly be classified as lukewarm to me. <laughs> Amen. But um, I, I want to receive a reward. There's five different crowns that the Bible speaks of for the, for the righteous that are going to be given to those who overcome. Five different crowns that the Word of God speaks of. So there's a reward, and that's what James is talking about, that if we're going to stand before the Lord and be rewarded by the Lord and, and receive that crown of life that He has laid up there for us, then there's going to be some, some temptations we go through, there's going to be some trials we go through, there's going to be some things that we have to endure, and we're going to have have to come through it victorious and resist it and, uh, and, and, that, and not succumb to the temptation to fall away or to give up or to quit. We've got something to press on for, folks. Amen? And I'm going to tell you something. I, you know, I didn't mention anything tonight about, about the situation in Iran and all that's going on. We do need to be praying for our country, for our president, for all that situation. But listen to me, saints. We're in the end times. If you can't see that, you turn on the news. I'm sitting there watching the news and I'm saying we are so close to the Lord sounding that trumpet and coming after His church and that's going to be when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ at the rapture of the church. It's getting close to that. If there ever was a time we needed to live close to Jesus, if there ever was a time that we needed to overcome this world, if there ever was a time we needed to resist the devil, if there ever was a time we needed to be sold out to Jesus Christ, it's this very day and hour which we live in right now in 2020. Amen. Well, praise God. Praise God. Amen. So the faithful believer is going to receive that crown of life. And so there's, there's the blessing of enduring temptations. But notice that he went on to say, that blaming God for our temptation is not what we're supposed to do. Amen. There's to be no blaming God. It's amazing how many people that I run into that are mad at God about something. <laughs> blaming God for their problems or their situations. But when it comes to temptation and it comes to sin, we're all in the same boat, but we are not to be playing the blame game. What did James say there? He said that let no man say. Is that verse number 13? Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. God did that to me. Don't blame God for temptation. Because he went on to say, God is not able, to, he cannot be tempted with evil, and neither can he or will he tempt any man. And so, you know, people have taken that verse 
and, and use that, that part of that 13th verse to say that God is not the source of tests and trials. That when you're having a test and trial, that it's not God that's bringing you into that. Well, do you see what's happening there? They're confusing the two words. There's a difference in being tested and tried. The Bible's very plain in Genesis 22.1. It said, and God did test Abraham. So there's a difference in being tested, your faith being tested, and being enticed by, by sin or being tempted to commit sin. God will never tempt us to commit sin. So we're not to play the blame game. You know, the blame game started in the garden, didn't it? started in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve fell, when they committed sin and they fell. And God came down like He did every day. He's walking in the cool of the day and He's, he's looking for his, 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 his son. He's looking for Adam to fellowship with Him like He did every day and He can't find Him. Adam's hiding from God because why? Because he's, he's sinned. He's disobeyed God. His eyes have been opened. His conscience is now bothering Him. He knows that He's broken the commandments of God and He's afraid and he's hiding from God. And God comes into the garden and says, Adam, where are you? Where are you? And he said, I'm hiding from you, Lord. He said, I'm naked and I'm ashamed and I'm hiding. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you, have you eaten of that tree, of that knowledge of good and evil? Have you eaten of the tree that I told you not to eat of? And what was the very first thing that Adam said? The beginning of the blame game. That woman you gave me. Glory to God. Men been doing that ever since, ain't they? Is that what, it wasn't my fault. See, here's what he said. Wasn't my fault, God, is this woman that you gave me. And then when God addressed Eve, what would she do? She passed the buck on and she said, it wasn't my fault. It was the snake. It was the serpent. He begot, it's his fault. So the, the blame is being passed from one to the other. She, she, you know, Eve played that card. You remember back in the 70s? Back in the 70s, the, the phrase was it flip Wilson, Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. And that's what, you know, that's what, uh, that's basically what Eve was saying is the devil made me do it. You know what? We're blaming the devil. People are blaming God. People are blaming everybody. They're blaming their spouse. They're blaming their friends. They're blaming everybody for their sin. And you know where the blame belongs if, we're, if we go astray? The blame belongs right here on us. We can't blame anybody else for our sin when we do wrong. Well, praise God. So God says don't do that. See, God allows trials, trials and brings trials to bring out the best in us, to perfect our character, we found that out, to develop our faith, to make us stronger in Him when we come through those trials. But Satan sends temptations and brings temptations to bring out what? the worst in us. So God is never to blame for our sin. Listen to me, saints. You and I, we are responsible for what we do wrong. If I sin, I can't blame it on nobody else but me. Amen? I can't blame it on God. We make the choices in life God's given us a free will to choose, to make choices. And we are going to have to answer to Him for the choices 
that we've made. Amen. And, and is there anybody in here tonight that has never made a wrong choice or a bad choice? Everybody, you know, God told the children of Israel, you know, in, in Deuteronomy, He set the blessing on one mountain and the curse on the other mountain. And He said, you know, I set before you life and death and blessing and cursing. And He said, uh, choose life. There was a choice that they had to make. So the Bible teaches us that you and I, that man can make a moral choice to do what is right. Amen. We can make that choice. People make the wrong choice every day. Now, when somebody is unsaved and is, is a child of the devil, they're spiritually dead, they're not born again, their, their lifestyle is they choose the lifestyle of sin. They're living in sin. They're just doing what their nature is to do. Because by nature, every one of us, every one of us are fallen. We're sinful in our nature, every, every single one. We inherited it from Adam and Eve. Amen. From Adam, from our, from our father Adam, we inherited that sinful nature. So when, when we look out here in the world, listen, sinners sin because they're sinners. Amen. You can't make a sinner stop sinning. You know what will cause a sinner to stop sinning? He's got to have a change in nature. He's got, that's why you've got to be born again. That's why the new birth is Jesus died so we could be born again and have a new nature. Amen. And once a person gets born again, their nature is changed. Amen. And they now have the nature of God. They still have the fallen nature. That doesn't go anywhere. But you now have the Spirit of God living on the inside of you and you have the nature of God on the inside of you, and so you're going to obey whatever you yield to, and we've got to learn how to let the Holy Spirit control our lives. Amen? Walk in the Spirit and will not fulfill the lusts and the desires of the, of the flesh. So you and I are free. Uh, our will is free to, to obey or to disobey. And so when we are tempted, if we fail... James is saying, don't ever blame that on God. You know, he was writing. He was writing to Jews who had been scattered abroad because of persecution. Um, They've been through a lot of terrible things. And they were, some of them, blaming God for their situation. And he was telling them, don't blame God for your temptations to go back into sin or to turn away from God. Because he said, listen, James said this. He said, God cannot be tempted with evil. God is a holy God. He's a thrice holy God. That is his nature. That is his character, his holiness. And he said in the Old Testament, and Peter repeated it in the New Testament, be ye holy, for I am holy. And God's, God's a holy God. He can't be tempted with evil. There's nothing in the character of God, nothing at all in the character of God that responds to temptation. He cannot be successfully tempted with evil. He is invis, invincible to the assaults of evil. So when we're tempted, don't blame God, all right? Don't blame God. But now listen, the third thing that I want to mention to you is James talks about it in verse 14. And that's the bait of temptation. That's the bait of temptation. Now we talked about Eve blaming the devil. And how many people blame the devil sometimes even for their sin? The devil made me do it. Well, look at what James says in verse 14. 
He tells us the source of temptation and the bait of temptation, and he says, each one, and notice this, uh, I'm reading from the New King James, says each one, the King James says every man, so that means everybody, every man, woman, boy, and girl, all of us are going to be tempted. You're not going to escape it. Each one of us, every man is tempted. Notice, when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. No one is exempt. James, in this verse, explains how we are tempted. He said we're drawn away by our own desires and we are enticed. That phrase, drawn away, and I've talked about this before, but I'm going to repeat it. That word, the, those two words, drawn away, in the Greek means to draw out or to lure as you would in hunting or fishing. To lure. You know, I never did turkey hunt. I had... Some guys tried to, Brother Howard Gillum and Buddy Bender and them years ago tried to get me to go turkey hunting. My old brother Buddy gave me, Bender gave me a, a box call and everything and showed me how to use it and tried to get me. But you know, I, those turkey hunters, and anybody, any turkey hunters in here? Got any turkey hunters? Brother Gary probably knows what I'm talking about. But you know, they'll put on that camouflage and netting and everything, you know, and get in the woods and get in a blind or whatever and hide. And they'll either have a, they'll have some kind of call, you know, to, they want to draw that gobbler out. They want to sound like a hen, don't they? Because they want to draw that gobbler out of those woods and get him out there and entice him to draw. And that's what James is talking about here. They're drawn away to draw out. There's something that the devil can put in front of us to draw out of us. And here's the thing. The, 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 the bad thing's already in us and Satan's trying to draw it out of us. See, see, here's the thing. You've got those guys teaching today, some of them, that when you get born again, that the sinful nature is eradicated and you don't have it anymore. And then you've got others saying that you can become entirely sanctified to where you never have a bad thought or never sin. That's not what the Bible teaches. Now, you know, the, the born-again person, as I said, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you and the nature of God is now in you. When you're born again, you have the divine nature, been made a partaker of God's nature. But now you also, listen, there's a dual nature there. You still have that sinful nature, that fallen Adamic nature with the propensity to do wrong. But then now you also have God's nature. That's the difference in the, Born again believer, the sinner can't help but sin. But now that you've been born again, you've got God's nature on the inside of you that wants to do right and walk right and live right. Woo, hallelujah. Tyler got saved last Sunday and he's got a new nature now. The problem is we've got to learn how to keep our faith in the right place and in the right object so the Holy Spirit can help us. And we've got to yield ourselves to that divine nature and walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Amen? So they say, well, you've, you don't have that sinful nature anymore. It's been eradicated, and that's not what the Bible teaches. 
If that were so, if you did not have any propensity of sinful nature in you anymore, then you could never, there wouldn't be anything in you for, to be drawn out. Or, or, am I making any sense? So it's like drawing out a, a turkey out of the woods. Huh? Praise God. Putting that, I know this is illegal, isn't it? Putting that salt lick out there at the deer crossing and drawing that big buck out to that, to that lick. So it's drawing out, but he said that, 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 that when we are tempted, we're drawn away of our own, of our own what? Of our own desires, lusts and desires. So, so what's being drawn out is an, a wrong desire that's still in the believer. Still there. And Satan uses lures pull it out, to draw it out. Well, this is why it's so important that we know how to resist that and to overcome that. But then he said, he's drawn away and enticed. And that word enticed means to bait or to catch something by bait. And that's talking about the fishermen here, you know, the lures are that big, you know, <laughs> you know, putting that big nightcrawler on that hook or putting that, you know, that, that spinnerbait on there, whatever you put on there that, that you run through the water that will, that will attract. There's, listen, there's something, Brother Hank, there's something in that big old largemouth bass that, that can be drawn out by just the way. I never could make those, those jigs and stuff work right to catch anything, you know, but, but these guys here that know how to do that, they know there's something in that bass. There's the, the guys that, that, that make these lures knows there's something that will attract the attention of that big old largemouth bass that he may be hiding back in that brush pile somewhere, but you keep throwing that lure out there and pulling it by him, he's going to be drawn out. He can't resist it. And man, he's got to take the bait. That, see, that's the, is anybody getting the picture? That is what the enemy tries to do with us as believers. He knows there's still something in there that he's trying to draw out. But thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the power of God that we can overcome his bait and his enticements in our life. Oh man, hallelujah, hallelujah. So Satan uses, uses those things, those baits to hook us into a life of sin. And when we get into temptation, when our flesh or uh, our, our desires draw us toward what is sinful. It's appealing. The bait that is used by Satan is an exciting thing and it, it, it stirs something in us. And the thing about the bait that entices us is that it blinds our desires. It blinds us to the consequences of sin. That big old largemouth bass don't have any idea what's getting ready to happen to him. 
when he goes after that lure that's been put out there. He doesn't understand the consequences. All he knows is what he's seeing right there really looks appealing. And at that very moment, he's saying, I have got to have this now. And he doesn't think about the consequences. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to close. We're running out of time. He doesn't think about the consequences. And that's what happens to, to and I'm talking about Christians tonight. How many Christians do you know that have fallen away from God and have yielded to the lure of Satan, the temptation that he's put before them, had a weak moment and went after the bait, not, not fully knowing or being blinded to what the consequences were going to be? Let me tell you something tonight. And I know this is not probably the most popular thing to talk about that little three-letter word sin is not popular to talk about. But let me tell you something. Sin has consequences. And you're not going to like the consequence. See, there's no such thing as sinning and avoiding the consequence. Moses said to the children of Israel, Be sure your sin will find you out. You know what he said? The wages of sin is... Everybody knows that verse, right? There's wages. There's a payday. There are consequences to sin. And somehow or another, the enemy is able to blind us to the consequences and that evil desire, he's able, when he's able to draw that out of us, all we can think about at the moment is how much pleasure we're going to get out of what we're getting ready to do. And then the hook's in. See, when David, when David, King David, walked upon the roof of his palace that night, when he should have been off in battle, and he looked out and he, he looked over and saw um, a woman bathing, and he had, when he saw her, that evil desire that was in him, um, came out. But you know, when David saw Bathsheba that night and called for her, I believe if David would have known, if he would have just have, have known the consequences, the tragic consequences that would come with his adultery, he would not have committed that sin. The consequences were, well, you all know the story. He wound up, you know, Bathsheba became pregnant um, the baby died. He killed Uriah, her husband, had him murdered. Um, Absalom rebelled against the family, caused David all kinds of problems. Absalom raped his half-sister Tamar. And um, um, it was just a terrible, terrible, terrible uh, Terrible thing. I'm sorry, it was Amnon that raped Tamar. And Absalom killed Amnon. Then Absalom rebelled against David. Just consequences to sin. Because see, here's the thing. The bait 
blinds us from those consequences. That word desires refers to a deep, strong desire and a longing. And it can be good or it can be bad. But our desires make that which is wrong look better than that which is good and righteous. And that desire and that lust makes immorality more appealing than purity and virtue. So we've got to be on guard. Our desires are strong and our flesh is weak. Are you hearing me? Those sinful desires, that sin nature is stronger. I don't know if I'm getting across or not. That's the sinful nature is stronger than your flesh is and your willpower is to resist it and overcome it. There's only one power that's stronger than the power of sin and that's the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that's living on the inside of the believer. Oh, hallelujah. I shout and ground tonight. I'm not standing here telling you that you're that you're a sinner, that that you're a sinner and you can't overcome sin and you've got to sin a little bit every day. That's not what I'm up here saying. I'm telling you, yes, there is a propensity for sin. And Satan will put temptation in front of you. And he'll try to, do, to, to draw that evil desire out of you, draw you away. But I am here to tell you tonight that God has made provision through the power of the Holy Spirit through the cross of Jesus Christ to give you victory over that sinful nature. Hallelujah! When Jesus died on the cross, he, you died with him and your old man died. Hallelujah! Here to be dead to sin, alive to God. And he has subdued that sin nature in you. And you must make sure that sinful nature becomes subservient to the divine nature and the Spirit of God that's living on the inside of you. Praise God. Praise God. Is anybody getting it? There's victory over that. Hallelujah. So, Brother Rick, I've messed up. I've failed. I've messed up. What do I do? Well, you know, thank God, yeah, repent. Ask God to forgive you. Confess your sin. Get forgiveness. And then go right back to the cross. The same cross that gives you the blood to forgive you is the same cross that will give you the power then to overcome that. Don't See, be like Jonah Salk. If it's 200 times, say, no, I'm not going to fail because Jesus has made the way for me to be an overcomer and to get victory over this thing. There's so many different things that Christians struggle with. It could be an addiction. It could be a habit. It could be some besetting sin. It could be anger. It could be temper. It could be a lot of number of different things. But don't just give in to the thing and say, well, my daddy had this temper. I guess I've got it. I guess there's no way I can get it. Let me tell you, you've got a new daddy now. Praise God. God's your heavenly father now. Woo! You can be victorious. Go to Romans 7. I'm going to read some verses and we're going to go home. And I'm going to try to read these verses without commenting on them. <laughs> All right. Listen, what I'm talking to you about here, Paul, after he was born again and spirit-filled, dealt with the same issues that I'm talking to you about here. 
The Apostle Paul did? Yeah. I know there's, there's those that say, well, Romans chapter 7 was Paul's life before conversion. No. It was Paul's life after he was born again and struggling with some sin, with, well, with the sin nature before he had the revelation from the Lord Jesus on the victory of the cross and how to overcome it. Listen, Romans 6, 7, and 8 are probably the most power, three most powerful chapters in the entirety of the Word of God when it comes to how to overcome and live for God, and live for Jesus, and live an overcoming life. I wasn't going to comment, was I? I hadn't even read yet, and I'm commenting. <laughs> Romans seven fifteen. Notice what he says. Paul says this: For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Sounds like a struggle. I'm commenting. But it sounds like a struggle going on. You know what struggle that is? It's the one he wrote about in Galatians 5, 17. For the flesh wars and lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these two are the contrary one to another so that you cannot do the things that you would. There's a battle going on every time. As I said a while ago, the old American Express, don't leave home without it. Everywhere you go, everywhere you go, there's a, every day of your life, there's a, there's a struggle and there's a battle. The spirit of God, the Holy Ghost in you, the divine nature in you is warring against that flesh, that old sinful nature. There's a struggle going on and somebody's going to have to win it. And the only one can win it is the Holy Spirit. And the only way the Holy Spirit can win it is as you keep your faith anchored in Jesus Christ and His shed blood at the cross. The same faith that got you born again is the same faith that's going to give you victory every day of your life. I'm commenting again. But Paul said, I'm doing what I don't understand. What, I, what I'm doing, I don't understand. If then I do what I will not, verse 16, if I do what I will not to do, I agree that the law that I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, listen, but sin, and the definite article is before that in the Greek, so it's the sin, speaking of the sin nature, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh. Not in the Spirit. In the Spirit dwells the Holy Spirit. Not in my but in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. He wanted to overcome and do what's right. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good. Can anybody read these words and kind of say, nod your head and say, yeah, I kind of been down that road myself. Huh? For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, 
But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. The law of your mind is your willpower. And I've heard people say, I can, you know, I can have enough willpower to quit sinning. I can have enough willpower to, to quit smoking. I can have enough willpower. You can't have, well, I, I say that. People have by sheer willpower quit smoking cold turkey. But I'm telling you what, you, if you're depending on your willpower to break any habit or any sin or any addiction, it ain't going to happen. You need a bigger power than your willpower. And Paul's saying here, there's a, there's a law that, a principle that's warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. In verse 24, here, here was his conclusion. He said, oh wretched man that I am. But notice the next word. Who will deliver me from the body of death? This body of death. And there was his answer right there. Notice it wasn't, it wasn't what shall deliver me or how shall I be delivered from the body of this death, from this sinful nature. But he said, who? He says, it's got to be a person. Who will deliver me from this struggle that I'm having with the sin nature? Who will set me free from this struggle that I'm having with this problem that, that keeps seeming to come up in my life, the temptation that's there that I'm yielding to? Who will deliver me from this body of death? And he says in verse 25, he gives the answer. And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Can you say amen? Hallelujah to the Lamb. Amen. Well, let's stand and praise the Lord tonight. I, I praise God. I could keep going, but I'm going to let you go home. Amen. Let's just stand and worship the Lord tonight. Did you... Did, did, do you understand what we're saying here? There will be temptation, and I'm not nearly done. I may try to finish this up next week. There will be temptation. There will be the bait. There will be the lure. Satan knows your weak point. Satan knows the thing in there that, that, that you're easily enticed with. And that's the lure that he's going to pull down by you. But thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ, there is victory over temptation and over that power of the sin nature that you can live a victorious, overcoming life through Jesus Christ and what He's done for you at Calvary. Amen.